You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, America. This is the Surveyor's Hour. I am your host, uh, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and an attorney at law. Uh, We'll spend the next hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. And you can find out more information about me at my personal website, www.LucasAndCompany.com. Okay, uh, well, I think that um, they were playing uh, the radio station. America's Web Radio was playing a repeat of um, uh, of last week's show, last week's uh, the Surveyor's Hour, uh, and that's fine. Uh, if you're if you're hanging on for if you if you listen to that segment and now you're uh, going to listen to this segment, what I actually wanted to do this week was finish that case up, the case of uh, Weber versus Kroger. Um, don't have a guest this week, but we uh, are looking for guests. Um, I like it when we have a guest on the program. If you have any suggestions for guests that you would like uh, us to reach out to and see if they come on the program, we'd love to hear them, uh, what they are. And, uh, again, uh, if you have questions or comments. You know, I, I get – I have people comment on uh, my on my website about the show um not really they don't really you know it's it's not like uh, I feel free to uh to share their comments because they're not asking for me to comment online or you know on the show or answer a question but uh so I would like to answer your questions uh and and hear from you uh if you have uh, questions about what we're discussing and again we're we're discussing uh everything about surveying and the uh, the most interesting aspect of surveying, and that is dealing with people's uh, property boundaries. And as I've said on many occasions, um, the land surveyor is most likely to is more like, let's put it this way: the land surveyor is more likely to end up in court uh, than an architect or an engineer or uh, other similar um, similar profession or professional. Because uh, the surveyor in that core issue of the, the whole reason surveyors are licensed, which is uh, for um, protecting uh, private property rights, that issue puts uh, the land surveyor in touch with uh, with people, uh, in touch with landowners, and we're dealing with a, a very uh, important um, commodity to them, their land, uh, and the associated property rights and um, although, uh, although the uh, the war chests aren't deep, uh, the principles run very very high, and uh, oftentimes um, uh, boundary disputes do go to court. Although um, there's you, you generally generally speaking, you can't get your money back. They're not like personal injury cases. With a personal injury case, there's an insurance company out there somewhere who's. Uh, going to ultimately foot the bill. That's why uh, you see all of those advertisements on TV and on the billboards, uh, personal injury lawyers, is because they will work on a contingency fee. They will work on a contingency fee because if they accept your case, they'll, you know, they have enough experience to know if if you've got a good case, they'll research your case, and uh, they'll go ahead and uh, foot the bill for the, all, all of the litigation for whatever percentage uh, they get, I, I don't know um, exactly, and I guess it varies, 30, 40 percent uh, of, um, uh, of the award in the case. They'll take it on the contingency basis because they know there will be a payday at the end of the day. Uh, they know the case is well enough. If they accept your case, they know that they're going to get paid. They don't always get paid. There's, they make mistakes, um, uh, just like anybody else. But... Uh, the difference between that kind of case and a boundary dispute case is there is no insurance money. Uh, there's no insurance money to pay for the litigation. Uh, so that that has a tendency to uh, to uh, uh, tamp down on the number of uh, of cases. But still, there are people. The, the cases are out there. Okay, there the cases are legion. 
um, and there are people who uh, who have the disposable income to um, to either prosecute or defend a case, and that's that's what the situation here is. Uh, in in the case that we're looking at, Weber versus Kroger, uh, these people are um, um, apparently uh, pretty well off. I mean, if you do. Uh, if you do uh, Google Maps and you do a street view and you look at the houses uh, in this neighborhood in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, you can see these people are pretty well off. And um, so they they have the they had the money and uh, they went into litigation. And why did they go into litigation? Because the surveyor came along and upset the apple cart. The surveyor came along and upset the status quo. As a general proposition, and I've been in surveying business since uh, 1976. Um, been a licensed land surveyor since uh, 1984. As a general proposition, uh, when I go to the field uh, to do a boundary survey, 95 to maybe 99% of the time, um, I can't say 100% of the time, but 95 to 99%, maybe closer to 99% of the time, there is a status quo. What do I mean by status quo? Well, they, um, the the neighbors are sitting in a uh, peaceful, generally speaking, a peaceful situation. Now, sometimes you get called out because there is no peace in the neighborhood, or there is chaos, or there are... You're following up after another surveyor who came in and started the mess. Um, but generally speaking, 95 to 99 percent of the time, you, you go to the field and there's a status quo. There was a status quo here in this case. There was a status quo. The neighbors were living in peaceful coexistence. Uh, just to recap, if you didn't listen to last hour's show, and I wasn't told for sure that it was last week's show, but uh, it kind of sounded like what well, little bit I heard. It kind of sounded like it. So our situation is we are in a residential neighborhood here. This is in Nashville, Tennessee. It's on Oakland Avenue. It's in the Belmont um, Belmont Heights. It's in the the Belmont uh, Belmont Belmont Hillsboro subdivision that was uh, created in 1913. Originally, these lots were 100 feet wide and 150 feet deep. Um, they the houses faced towards the east. Oakland Avenue is on the east, and there is an alley, a platted alley, access alley in, in the back, uh, running parallel with Oakland Avenue, back behind these lots. And um, But the lots, uh, most of them, uh, we hear from the testimony of the, uh, the builder, uh, uh, the renovation guy, the guy who uh, renovated these two buildings, these two houses, and sold them, uh, Mr. Fry, um, that all of the lots in this neighborhood were were broken up into 50-foot wide lots. So we have, now that's not on the original plat. You might hear a little bit of that today. It's not on the original plat. The plat uh, has uh, 100-foot wide lots, 150 feet deep. Uh, the plat was recorded in 1913. So uh, we're not told a whole lot about it, but um, it, back in those days, uh, this, this subdivision would have had to have been laid out. And most likely that would have been done by a surveyor. The surveyor uh, may have used wooden stakes uh, to set the property corners in place. Um, there is, there's no mention of. Um, we hear the we, we, when we get to the surveyor's testimony, there's no mention of him finding any original monumentation. So when the original monumentation comes up missing. Uh, when original monument the, the best available evidence let's, let's put it this way the best available evidence of the location of a property line on the ground are the original monuments set by the original subdividing surveyor that is the best available evidence of where the boundary lines are located when they come up missing then you have to go to the next best available evidence I mean this is just retracement theory this is bound this is boundary property boundary law this is the the doctrines of location the location doctrines sometimes referred to as the boundary establishment doctrines i've kind of i'm kind of shying away from that term uh now i was uh, i was in a uh i was doing a seminar back before the uh, covid 19 thing 
and um, back in February, it was well. We know the virus was around, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't considered the uh, the threat uh, that it is now. Uh, back in February, matter of fact, it was uh, Friday, Friday, the March the thirteenth. At least that's what's uh, that's what registers in my mind when uh, here in Birmingham, Alabama, the world went crazy. But anyway, be that as it may. Uh, uh, one of the participants, I was going over the boundary establishment doctrines, and one of the participants came up to me at the break and said, why are you calling these the boundary establishment doctrines? I said, well, you know, basically that's what they are. He said, yeah, but you're in, in your book, in the pincushion effect, you call them the boundary location doctrines. And, you know, I was right before, you know, uh, I was uh, I was for it before I was against it. I mean, it was, uh, that was... Uh, that's really the better characterization of these doctrines, the, the, the location doctrines, because um, surveyors actually establish nothing. Surveyors don't establish anything. We, we talk about the original surveyor, and the, the, that word gets thrown out, uh, establishing the boundaries on the ground, putting the, the pins in place. But uh, in the final analysis, I mean, when you really dig down into it, um, the surveyor doesn't establish anything. Boundaries become established through the activity and inactivity of the landowners. The surveyor, at best, is a tool in that process. When the surveyor comes out, like here at Belmont in Belmont Hillsboro subdivision, there was probably an original surveyor who went out there and staked out the hundred foot wide by uh, 150-foot deep lots, and then uh, builders came out. They split the lots into 50-foot wide lots. Possibly that was done by a surveyor as well. Back in those days, they didn't generally, uh, for subdivisions, they didn't generally set a bunch of pins in the ground. When I say a pin, I'm talking about like a rebar, half-inch rebar, 5-8-inch rebar, 18 inches to 24 inches long, uh, driven in the ground or it could be a pipe, and of course they could be concrete monuments. Those are called artificial monuments. Well, you know what else is an artificial monument is a house. And that's what happens in this case. Um, we have so two houses get built. Well, the houses got built all the way up and down the line, and um, these 50-foot wide lots had uh, uh, five-foot wide uh, setbacks, building setbacks on each side. That means each, ha- each house was built uh, 10 feet apart from each other. And that, uh, we find out, is pretty consistent up and down the block. That's what Fry, our contractor, uh, our renovation guy, our house flipper, let's just call him a house flipper, that's what he testifies to, that this is how all of the builders up and down the block uh, determine where the uh, the property line was in order to put improvements along the property line. They, they just split the difference between the houses. So uh, we have uh, 2407 Oakland Avenue. We have 2405 Oakland Avenue. They face uh, east to west. They actually face the east towards Oakland Avenue. And um, the the alley's in the back. Um, 2405 is to the north of 2407. And Fry, uh, our house flipper, first bought 2407 and he started doing a renovation then he bought uh, while he was working on that renovation he was actually living in 2407 which becomes the future house of our plaintiff Weber Um, he bought 2405 and then apparently concentrated his efforts on 2405 and in 2005 he sold that uh, house to the north uh, the property to the north to uh, Kroger and then he finished up 2407 and sold 2407 in 2006 to Weber. And that's where we'll pick up uh, after the break. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, uh, welcome back. All right, sort of set the scene here for you. One thing I want you to keep in mind, remember, next best available evidence. The original monuments um, may have been wooden states. Our surveyor who comes on the scene, there will be two surveys, one in 2011 one in 2016. Uh, only one of the two, only the 2016 surveyor comes into court. The 2011 surveyor is uh, somewhat of a mystery. We don't know who that was. We just know uh, what they did or the results of the survey. But there are no original monuments, and if there were, they were probably wooden stakes set at the corners so that the houses could be laid out. Now think about this: you got minimum uh, five foot. Uh, setbacks on each side. You got a 50 foot wide lot. That means you can only put a 40 foot house, 40 foot wide house on these lots. And apparently that's what they did. The builders, they built right up to the setback lines. They would have had to have, they would have needed to know where the property line was in order to build back from the setback. And so, the, um, the reasonable inference, and we're going to talk about presumptions and inferences, but reasonable inferences, uh, uh, an inference to um, to draw, a conclusion to draw from this set of facts is that they, they being the home builders back in 1913, were probably, probably set a string line uh, down that property line, down both property lines on each side of their house uh, from the, the stake or a surveyor's stake or a surveyor's um, a surveyor place position uh, out on out on Oakland Avenue right away and all the way back to the alley. I mean, that's a reasonable inference. We need to talk just a minute about uh, presumptions and inferences. We we might have done this before. I'm not quite sure. Um, but a presumption is a legal fact. Let me let me read right out of. Let me get to Mr. Black. Let's get to Blacks. Okay. A presumption. Here, this is right out of Black's Law Dictionary. A presumption is an assumption of fact that the law requires to be made from another fact or group of facts found or otherwise established in the action. In other words, a presumption is a legal fact um, until the opponent to the presumption is able to rebut the presumption, is able to prove it wrong. Now, there's some. there are some presumptions that are... Uh, unrebuttable. The sun rises in the east. Generally an unrebuttable uh, presumption, although we know somebody somewhere in this crazy world it would be willing to argue that the sun does not rise in the east. Um, that would be a rebuttable presumption. All of these, the boundary location doctrines, boundary establishment doctrines, or the boundary location doctrines, all basically rest on presumptions of the law, okay? So uh, a presumption is a legal fact until proven wrong. And the burden on proving the presumption wrong will be on um, will be on the opponent to the presumption. So one of the underlying presumptions of original monuments is that when the original monuments are in the ground at the time of the conveyance, the parties, the grantor and the grantee, and in a subdivision like we're talking about here, uh, Belmont Hillsborough subdivision in Nashville, Tennessee, old old subdivision, the presumption would be that they were they were staked out, and then the parties uh, bought the dirt surrounded by the monuments, uh, and their title documents are an attempt to describe that location, what that piece of property is. Okay, the two part question: What is the property? Where is it located? 
What is the property is the legal question. Where is it located is the factual question. That's the surveyor's question. That's the retracement surveyor's question. So uh, the so presumptions are legal facts until proven wrong. Um, and the burden is on one wanting to prove it wrong. So uh, the presumption is when the monuments are in the ground at the time of the conveyance, uh, the parties buy to the monuments uh, that were in the ground, and their title documents just kind of trail along with them. Now, an inference is not a presumption. Stated otherwise, an inference is not a presumed fact. It's a thought process of an observer like a retracement surveyor, that leads to conclusions that can either be right, wrong, logical, or illogical, pass the common sense test, or make no sense at all. Blacks puts it this way. Inferences are deductions or conclusions which, uh, which, with reason and common sense, lead the jury to draw from facts that have been established by the evidence in the case. So an inference has a two-part test. The inference has to be reasonable, and it must make common sense. So what's the inference we just drew? 50-foot wide lots, 5-foot setbacks, 40-foot buildings, and they're all lined up there square with each other. And Fry, the, the contractors, measured between them. And uh, was, uh, he measured between them, split the difference between them, in order to put up the privacy fence. Now, why did he put up the privacy fence? We're going to get into another uh, location, Doctor. Why did he put up the privacy fence? He sold 2405, the house to the north, to Kroger in 2005. As part of that buy-sell agreement, uh, they held back uh, a sum of $5,000 from the, uh, uh, the proceeds of the sale, was put into escrow until Mr. Fry, our contractor, um, was um, until he could put up a privacy fence between the two properties. I think he also had to put a fence on the north side of, of Kroger's property as well. He had to put on gutters and downspouts. But uh, when they sold the house to the Krogers, they, they really weren't ready for that. There was construction activity going on. They had to, There were, needed to be some grading uh, here and there. So uh, there was a time delay. And then uh, while... Fry is living in 2407, and Kroger's his um, his grantee is living in 2405. Uh, Kroger requires Fry to build the privacy fence, and Fry built the privacy fence. What does this sound like to you? Well, Fry is a common grantor. This is a common grantor doctrine. Fry is a common grantor. When a, what is a common grantor doctrine? When the common grantor causes the property to be subdivided and, and puts the monuments in the ground, those monuments become sacrosanct. Does this get discussed in this case? No, but this is another way to, to come to the correct conclusion about the property line between 2407 and 2405. It doesn't actually get discussed. It gets, uh, well, we, you'll hear what gets discussed if I can ever get to it. Might have, to, might have to hold this over till next week. But um, so, what does Fry do, uh, and how does he determine where to build the fence? You'll hear it in his testimony. But if if you're looking online, if you if you go to Google Maps or even uh, Google Earth, and you type in 2407 Oak Land, Oakland, one word, Avenue, Nashville, Tennessee, you'll you'll see the house. And if, you, if you're in Google, the reason to do this in Google Earth is if you, you can crank the photography back. I cranked it back to 2010, before the lawsuit, before the first surveyor came out. 2010, the first surveyor came out in 2011. And you can see clearly, you can see where Fry put the privacy fence. It's not all the way up and down the property. It, it, it goes from um, close to the front of the house it goes back to the west, back towards the alley, to what they call the parking pad, to uh, Weber's parking pad. Weber's to the south. He's in 2407. Kroger's to the north in 2405. And you can see the parking pad. You can see Weber's garage, which faces the parking pad, not the alley. He has to pull out of his garage onto the parking pad and out to the alley. And then out to the front, you'll see the front sidewalk. Weber's front sidewalk, which is right on the property line, and this was this was all the stuff that that Fry observed, 
and there was a fence. It was a chain link fence when he bought the two houses. He took the chain link fence down, and the chain link fence had lined up with the parking pad in back and the sidewalk in the front. And when he measured between the buildings and split the difference between the buildings, he was right. He was right on the north edge of the parking pad in back, and he was on the north edge of the sidewalk. Uh, uh, Weber's front sidewalk. It's right on the boundary line. So he has those four pieces of evidence. The concrete pad, actually five. The chain link fence, the uh, sidewalk in the front, actually four. And the measurements between the buildings. And that's where he put the privacy fence. And then he sold the house at 2407 to Weber. And now Weber and Kroger are living in happy, peaceful coexistence, privacy fence in place, everybody's happy. And for whatever reason, well, we know the reason, uh, Weber tells us the reason, he was, uh, he wanted to put a fence up on the south side of his property. So what do you do when you want to put a fence up? Well, called a surveyor. This is the 2011 surveyor. He came out uh, and uh, so the parties did not question the location of their shared boundary until sometime in 2011 when the plaintiffs, Weber, had a survey done for reasons unrelated to this case. I think they had a survey done so they, they could put up a, uh, they could put up a privacy fence on the south side of the property. The survey indicated that the boundary line did not match up with the location of the privacy fence. The defendants had another survey done in 2016. Based on the results of that survey, the defendants decided to take down the privacy fence. So they, they were living in, since 2006, they've been living next door to each other. Um, 2000, so what happened in 2011? Uh, well, in 2011, there's, there's a couple of things, a couple of three things that can happen as a result of uh, surveying activity. Uh, one is everybody's happy. Two, nobody's happy because the surveyor has upset upsets the status quo. Uh, now, as a result of that, uh, a couple of three things can happen. Uh, either the parties ignore the survey, the parties get in an argument over the survey, or ultimately the parties go to court over the survey. And all three of those things happen in this case. Uh, let's see. We coming up on a break here in just a minute. How much more do I want to get into? Probably not much. Um, let's see. Brett's back. He's going to give me a signal here in just a second. What do we got, Brett? Okay, we got about a minute. All right, good. Got it. All right. Uh, so we're going to get into uh, we're going to, we're going to get into Fry's testimony. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to get into the uh, discussions between the parties. Um, and then we're going to get into um, uh, the surveyor's testimony, uh, and that'll be coming up over the next uh, next couple of segments. Now, remember, folks, we want to hear from you, want to hear your comments, want to hear your suggestions. Um, write to me at jeff at americaswebradio.com. Send me your questions, send me your comments. Uh, I'd love to uh, go over your questions on the air and discuss them with everyone and um, you can also visit me on my personal website www.lucasandcompany.com and it looks like we are coming up to the break all right talk to y'all in just a couple minutes quick stakes that's q-u-i-k stakes are not just for surveyors they are great for family and community gardens go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes you'll love them every year when you plant your garden again that's quick stakes q-u-i-k stakes the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now 
If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, welcome back. This is the Surveyor's Hour. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. Uh, thanks for coming back. All right, let's pick up with Mr. Fry. Now, last week we we um, we heard a little bit of Mr. Fry. He's our contractor. We heard a little bit about his uh, testimony, how he set the fence line. Uh, by splitting the difference between the houses. And again, no original monuments in the ground. Uh, now, um, what, what, what we look for next is the next best available evidence. And what and when the monuments come up missing, what's the next best available evidence? Um, there's all kinds of available evidence, but the next best available evidence usually is... Um, it would be occupation, like fence lines, uh, driveways, sidewalks, uh, parking pads, um, things that were built uh, ostensibly uh, to the line uh, as it was originally established. Uh, this is just, uh, I mean, this goes back, this is uh, Thomas Cooley kind of stuff, back, you know, talking about the... Uh, the quasi-judicial function of the land surveyor. Cooley was talking about this stuff, you know, 200 years ago. Um, well, not 200 years. It gets about 100, 150 years ago. Um, he was talking about this stuff. Uh, the next best available evidence, and when that and uh, a large piece of evidence that the surveyor, the retracing surveyor, quite often just totally ignores. Uh, are the landowners, and 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 in reality, in the final analysis, the only people needed to solve a boundary dispute are a judge and the parties. That's it. I mean, the basics are the judge and the parties. From that, the judge will make a de- determination of uh, if they're arguing over what the property is. In this case, we're not not talking about it. it, it no, nobody. This is not a title fight. This is this is a pure fact question. Where's the property line? Nobody's saying adverse possession here. Nobody's, uh, that's a title fight. Nobody's arguing the legal question. The uh, uh, Weber has the south 50 feet of this lot, and uh, Kroger has the north 50 feet of this lot. Nobody's questioning that. that that's, that's, a title, that's the title issue. That's the legal question. Nobody's questioning the legal question here. This is purely a factual question. This is a, uh, this is a pure ec- it's in Chancery Court. This is a pure equity case. It's in Chancery Court. Chancery Court is not a legal court. It's not a. It's not. It's not a law court. It's an. It's a court of equity, uh, like uh, probate courts are in state. In my state, probate courts, a court of equity. Um, so, um, uh, well, how can they try a boundary dispute? Because a boundary dispute, a pure boundary dispute, where we're not trying the title. There's no legal. There's no fight over the legal title. We're not fighting over the legal title. That would be like an adverse possession case. When it's a, just a pure factual case, that's a pure that is the surveyor's question. That is the surveyor's question. That is the question in the surveyor's court. Where? We know what the property is. It's the south 50 feet and the north 50 feet of lot 167 or whichever lot it is uh, of Belmont Hillsborough subdivision. That's what it is. The factual question is where's the property line? That's the surveyor's only question. So, um, um, so, so that that's what. So, the only people needed in a, uh, to solve a boundary dispute case are a judge with subject matter jurisdiction, which the Chancery Court has in Tennessee on boundary disputes, um, and then the parties, Weber and Kroger. Now, surveyors are deemed helpful. But they're not um, absolutely necessary. These boundary disputes can be resolved with just uh, Weber and Kroger coming in to testify. 
Now, they have a, a surveyor. Kroger has a surveyor who comes in and testifies. We'll hear about that uh, in, in a little bit here. But that's all the only people that are needed. So what does that tell you as a retracement survey? What does that tell you about the people, the landowners? They have something to say. They have something to say. And if you're not going to listen to it, the judge is. This thing goes to court. The judge will hear what Cro- what Weber wants is going to say, and they're going to hear what Kroger's going to say. Here's my question for the retracement surveyor: Do you know what they're going to say before they say it? As a retracement surveyor, you should. All uh, all Kroger's surveyor had to do was ask Mister Kroger about the fence. Well, how did this fence get here? Did he do that? No. If he had asked Kroger about how the fence got there, he would have said the same thing he says in court, the same thing that we know by reading this opinion, is that uh, it was a requirement of the buy-sell agreement. Uh, they held $5,000 back so that Fry, to, to have Fry um, put in a privacy fence, put gutters, and uh, downspouts on Kroger's house. Put the privacy fence between the two properties and put gutters and downspouts on Kroger's house. You'd have heard that, you'd have heard that story. Oh, Fry, who's Fry? Oh, he's the one who uh, renovated my house and sold it to me. Now, if, if I had any curiosity at all, which apparently this surveyor doesn't, um, who was in the case, if I had any curiosity at all, I would say, well, where was Mr. Fry? Uh, did, why did he have to, you know, where was he? Well, he was in 2407. So he owned both properties? Yeah, he owned both properties. You mean he's a common grantor? I don't know what you're talking about, sir. Okay, well, um, you know, that's what he would be. He owned both properties and he sold you one. When he owned both properties, he owned them in common. It was his properties, and he sold you one, and y'all had an agreement to where the fence was going to go. Is that correct? Yes, we had an agreement to where the fence was going to go. I've got all the evidence I need. I don't need to go looking for old sticks in the ground to survey this piece of property. As a matter of fact, it's actually ingenious. The next best available evidence, when the original monuments are gone, and we're assuming that, uh, well, the surveyor testified. He didn't find anything. He found a couple of old sticks is what he found. And then he found the 2011 uh, pins in the ground. So guess what he did? Yeah, he just held the 2011 pins. So we'll, 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 get, to, we'll get to him in the next segment. I don't want to wrap this up this week. I don't want to go back over it again. So... Um, so your next best available evidence is where, where did they build the houses? Where did they put the chain link fence? Where did they build the sidewalk? Where did they pour the, the parking pad in the back? What that that's your next available best available evidence, and the evidence that is totally ignored in this. Well, I, actually, you're going to hear from the surveyor himself. All of that evidence was ignored. He doesn't even hardly remember seeing a fence. Can you believe that? I mean. It, it, it's not, you know, a fence can't be ignored. It doesn't mean it's the boundary line necessarily, but you cannot. A fence is a, is a type of a monument. A fence can be an artificial monument. In this case, it became an artificial monument, it, which became better than whatever uh, either one of the surveyors came uh, came up with. A fence is a type of a monument. A wall, a block wall, is a type of a monument. It represents, a fence represents something. And the only way you can know what that fence means is you have to ask some questions. You have to ask. Who are you going to ask? Well, you could have asked, uh, if you were the 2011 surveyor, you could have asked Weber. What does this fence mean? Well, that's supposed to be the boundary line. How did it get here? Uh, the builder or the guy who renovated my my, my house, my property, uh, put it up. Why did he put it there? Well, he had an agreement with Kroger. That's where they decided to put it. Oh, okay. That's where they decided to put it. Go do a few measurements. Check the the offset to Kroger's house. Hey, five feet. Check the offset to my client's house, Weber. Hey, five feet. Let's see. There are no original monuments. 
They were probably wouldn't stay. I can't find any monuments out at the proper uh, out along the property lines or at the property corners. Been up and down this block and found one. I'm the 2011 surveyor, but there I've got these houses. What's more like? What's more, most likely to disappear or move over the course of a century? The, the the wooden stakes that were set at the property corners or the houses that were built to the wooden stakes. What do you suppose? Hmm. That's tough. I I don't know. I'm thinking those wood stakes are going to last a lot longer than a house. What do you think? Well, of course not. I've been in situations like this before. Uh, down in Tampa, Florida. Um, down in, uh, what was that uh, area of town? Um, uh, down near Harbor Island um, on the peninsula. I Good grief. I've forgotten exactly what we called it. Uh, what it was, but uh, they had the old back, back in the day, back in the uh, in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. They actually got side ties on the houses. Now that that was kind of uncommon. Um, what I mean by side tie, when the surveyor would do a survey, they would um, they would check the distance from the property line over to a corner of the house. That wasn't that wasn't universal. Uh, a lot of times there was no such thing. They would just show the house generally. Uh, where it was located on the property, and they didn't do side ties. Well, I got involved in um, in a lawsuit over the location of just kind of just almost like this location of the uh, of uh, of a of a, the the boundary line on a split lot. And uh, one of the uh, part of my research, I got a bunch of old surveys uh, from um, the the company down there at the time that had all the records and. Um, I just, I was just, it was, it was very interesting. I was just flipping back through. T- I had surveys going back to the 1920s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and um, all those surveyors, they had, they had, all those surveys, they had gotten side ties and front ties on the houses. Were they consistent throughout the the decades? No, the side ties were moving all over the place. Is that because the houses were moving or because the monuments were moving? The monuments were moving, of course. They were getting different side ties over the decades because of the monuments moving up and down the street. It was actually absolutely fascinating to look at. I put it, you know, in, in my CAD program and just just kind of flipped through them and, and watched as as the property lines would just kind of, they were just like doing almost a sine wave. They were moving up and down, up and down, because I'm assuming that the houses weren't moving. It was the property, it was the property corners, the pins in the ground that were moving, not the houses. So anyway, um, yeah, the house isn't going to move. The pins will. Listen to Frank. Uh, the privacy fence was placed between the parking pad on the west side, back by the alley of 2407, and the walkway on the east side. So when he put the privacy fence, when he split the difference between the houses and put the privacy fence up, it hit the north edge of the parking pad in the back, and it hit the north edge of the sidewalk in the front. According to Fry, the fence lined up with the northern edge of the parking pad and also lined up with the northern edge of the walkway. When asked why he did not have a survey done of the two properties before he made the improvements, Fry responded, "We were listen. To this, we were cooperating par- properties in terms of we were neighbors. Him and Kroger. Um, we were both probably equally anxious. We were both probably equally anxious to get the fence constructed again. I had some knowledge about the setbacks, and I don't know. You know, again, that's still in some situations is." How I would do it in a similar situation, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, if two neighbors, you know, there's not an intention to, uh, offense isn't used to reward or deprive anyone of their property. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a split hair down the very center of the property line either. They were, they were co- cooperating properties. They were cooperating, pro- they were jointly putting this fence up. 
And in the face of an ambiguous location, and the surveyor is actually going to come in and make the location, and the surveyors are going to come in and make this location ambiguous. In the face of that, they're settling the boundary line issue. Okay, folks, uh, we're up against a break. We'll get back to the surveyor right after this. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Quick Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're back. This is the Surveyor's Hour. This is our last segment. I want to finish this case up this week so we can move on to something next uh, else next week. Uh, all right, let's move down. Let's, let's talk about the plaintiff here. Let's talk about Weber. Sometime in the first quarter of 2011, the plaintiff, Weber, wanted to put up a fence between his property and the property to the south, 2409. Uh, the Webbers arranged to have a survey, uh, survey done at their landscaper's suggestion. The surveyor pinned all four corners of 2407, and the pins were placed between 2405 and 2407, Kroger and Weber, between their properties, did not line up with the line the plaintiffs believed was the boundary between the property. Didn't line up with the fence. The survey didn't line up with the fence. It actually crosses the fence at some point. It's like a foot and a half south of the fence back on the parking pad. So it cuts off about a foot and a half of the parking pad. And out front, uh, along the sidewalk, um, the survey is is north of the fence line in the sidewalk. It's north about, uh, what did it say, about seven ten, almost a foot north. So it actually crosses the fence at some point, and what does that do to your setbacks as well? Survey comes out now says the surveyor comes out, and the results of that survey are both properties are in violation of their setbacks. It's, it's, it's a, is the city going to come out and make them tear their houses down? No. no. We just have we just have a stupid surveyor here on our hands. Uh, the, the both. Properties are now in violation of the of the minimum five foot setback due to the uh, according to the surveyed line. According to the survey, the Weber's parking pad was about eighteen inches over the line into the defendant's property. W- what do you think Kroger's want now? Oh yeah, the survey line crossed over the line where the privacy fence was located, and according to the survey, a portion of the privacy fence is about seven inches too far south of the property line, encroaching onto plaintiff's property. The survey showed that the defendants were utilizing some of the plaintiff's yard in front near Oakland Avenue, and Weber testified about the survey pins. Here's Weber's testimony: Our surveyor pinned uh, the boundary with Kroger's. At that point, obviously, I noticed where the pins were and noticed, well, gee, you know, this boundary over here with the Kroger's, if you compare it to the survey, it's off. Like, you know, to, I guess, the Weber's favor in back and the Kroger's favor in front. I think he actually has that reversed because it's not to his, it's not to his favor in the back because his parking pad is a foot and a half over the line. It would be to his advantage in front. He just got that mixed up. Or either that's a typo. There were uh, all of these structures over there. You know, the parking pad, the wall. There was a, also a little wall they talked about, a retaining wall. Uh, the fence line. I figured it didn't matter, in my view, uh, that since the historic boundary, um, uh, in my view, that set the historic boundary, so I never mentioned it to the Krogers. I had no desire whatsoever. Shelly and I were 
satisfied with the historic boundary. He's talking about, the, where's the historic boundary? What is the historic boundary? That's the boundary we're supposed, we're supposed to be finding as retracement surveyors, the historic boundary. Weber knows more about the historic boundary than the surveyor did. And what is Weber? Weber's wanting to ignore the survey results. Here's the problem, though, with the survey results. If the surveyor messed up the north boundary, they messed up the south boundary too. It'll be just, it'll be another diagonal line going across uh, the the historic boundary on the south side of the property as well. So the problem with ignoring the survey um, in this case is. Um, Future idiot, uh, idiots in the future coming out there and um, and messing up the apple cart again because of this 2011 survey. The pins are in the ground. That's a problem. Now, Weber doesn't recognize that it's a problem, but it is. It's a problem. It's going to and it's going to rear its ugly head five years later when um, when the Krogers get a survey. So five years later, the Krogers get a survey. Let's see. Kroger's explained that although they hope that uh, start, so uh, this this whole it it didn't go unnoticed by the the 2011 survey didn't go unnoticed by the Kroger's. They noticed, and so they had discussions and discussions and discussions about this. Now the Kroger's, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the Kroger's, but if you get a chance to break out a concrete saw on your neighbor, I mean, and take about a foot and a half off their their parking pad on the back it seems like in in these kinds of disputes it seems like that's exactly what the neighbor wants to do and as we talked about last last week they think that the surveyor showed them what belongs to them the kroger do. the surveyor showed them what belongs to them. part of the a part of uh, weber's parking pad belongs to them that's what surveyors do they show us what belongs to us all right the defendant, not so um, the Krogers, they were planning some, they've been planning on adjusting this line to the 2011 survey, uh, and they've been planning some improvements to their property, you know, and of course to cut about a foot and a half off of uh, uh, Weber's uh, concrete pad. So they're moving forward with their construction plans, regardless of what Weber uh, thinks and wants to do. And their project manager informed them uh, that construction could not begin until the four corners of the property were staked. Okay, 2016 now. As a result, uh, the Krogers had a survey of their property performed by Brackman in November 2016. The evidence showed that Brackman relied on the pins from plaintiff's 2011 survey to mark the boundaries between the two properties. That's the problem with ignoring the 2011 survey. As, a, as, a, as an attorney, what would I have advised Weber, who's also an attorney, by the way, when, they, when he came to me about, uh, if he had come to me about the uh, 2011 survey, well, if it doesn't line up with the fence, just uh, pull them. Throw them away. Put, pull them out of the ground, because they're going to be a problem for you down the line. And they were. They became a problem. Because in 2016, uh, when the Krogers hired their surveyor, Brackman, he came out there, and he found a couple of wooden stakes and the pins from the 2011 survey. Let's finish up with Brackman here. The defense argued that their surveyor established the correct boundary line. Well, okay, so Brackman came out, held the pins from the 2011 survey, so he has basically the same results. He's got a, a line diagonally crossing the fence, cutting off a, a foot and a half of the parking pad in front, about a, a foot north of the sidewalk, uh, in the parking pad in back, and about a foot north of the, uh, of the fence in, in the front. The defense argued that their surveyor established the correct boundary line and that the trial court erred in disregarding their surveyor's report. According to the defendants, Mr. Brackman, quote, referred to the recorded deeds and plats and supplied those um, to what was found and applied those to what was found on the ground. Brackman's survey showed that the plaintiff's parking pad is a foot and a half, plus or minus, north of the property line, and that the retaining wall that adjoins the property uh, parking pad that is perpendicular to the property line is a foot plus, mi plus or minus north of the property line. 
Mr. Brackman did not explain, however, how he determined the location of the property line. Brackman testified at trial that Lot 167 was 100 feet wide when it was originally laid out. He acknowledged that the original survey, as evidenced by the plant, shows no property line between 2405 and 2407 because the two properties were originally part of one parcel. Brackman further acknowledged that he did not rely on any natural monuments in preparing a survey. He did not remember seeing, listen to this, he didn't remember seeing the walkway in front along the north edge of Weber's property or the privacy fence. He didn't, he doesn't remember seeing them, let alone uh, uh, give uh, pay any attention to them. Brackman testified that Quote, he recalled some fence posts, but he did not believe these marked the boundary line. In response to a question on cross-examination whether he, quote, disregarded whether or not the plaintiff's stone walkway and parking pad and perpendicular retaining wall marked, the, uh, marked an understood historical boundary, Brackman stated, quote, I just put more weight in the actual iron pins and stuff I recovered. Mr. Brackman did not explain what he meant by this statement. However, this was the only time he or anyone else referred to iron pens. The trial court declined to adopt Brackman's testimony or survey as determinative of the boundary line because he did not believe Mr. Brackman that Mr. Brackman established to any degree of certainty or clarity why he arrived at his opinion. Brackman couldn't explain. This is this is just so fundamentally wrong, but it's so true. Brackman isn't alone. And my, uh, my anecdotal evidence tells me that more than half of the boundary surveyors out there doing quote-unquote retracement work can't explain why they did what they did. Can't explain basic retracement theory. Probably can't tell you a boundary location doctrine or a boundary establishment doctrine. Again, I'm going back to what I originally called it boundary location doctrines because surveyors don't establish anything. Boundaries get established through the activity and inactivity, just like in this case. The boundary got established on the fence line through the activity of Fry and the inactivity of Kroger. And if Weber had, had not made the mistake of hiring a surveyor, they'd still be living happily ever after. It'd still be, yeah, um, th th this is um, unfortunately uh, not an isolated incident. Let's see here. Brett's coming up to the microphone. Brett, how much time we got left? Oh, two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, two minutes. All right, real quick. So some of you out there may be thinking, okay, Jeff, uh, what about the pincushion corner? You know, you wrote a book about that. Yeah, I did write a book about the pincushion corn. Well, if Brackman doesn't hold the 2011 survey of pins and ends up setting pins of his own, isn't he creating a pincushion corner? Well, here's the deal with that. Uh, I never said there is never a time um to set another pin, especially in, the, in a situation like this, where it's clear that the 2011 survey is actually, not only is it, uh, is it wrong, it's dangerous. So what do I do about those pins in the ground? Um, well, like I said, I would have told Weber, as his attorney, pull them up and throw them away, throw them in the dumpster, or, you know, or put them in your garage, you can use them for something else later. What about as a, as a surveyor? Well. I wouldn't say pull them up because there's, that's actually a misdemeanor in most states. Uh, punishable maybe by a $250 fine. Uh, no, and probably uh, the board wouldn't like hearing me say that. Um, 
the board wouldn't like hearing me say that. So, but I have I have never seen uh, a law or a rule that says you can't drive them to refusal. In other words, you can't countersink them about a foot, foot and a half in the ground so nobody will ever find them and leave yours on the surface, especially in a situation like this. Now, we talked about inferences and presumptions. That's- What's the presumption underlying original monuments or the, the doctrine of monuments is that they received the blessing. They, they were in the ground at the time of the conveyance, therefore they became sacrosanct. What about the 2011 monuments? They're nothing. They're a nothing burger. They they really should be gotten rid of. But anyway, and it's all still sitting out there today, waiting to happen all over again. Deja vu all over again. Thanks a lot, folks. Had a good time, and we will talk next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.